We continue in the Sefer Das Asfiros. We're on page Ayin Reish Beis. Hopefully we'll finish this section of the destruction of the worlds and their repair. So now we're going to summarize the benefits of this path of breaking and repairing in creation. And the author cites three benefits. Benefit number one is that we see that this whole pathway is a reality that enables us to have an avoda of free will choice. Because if there's no ability to correct mistakes, but it would be with every sin that a person would do, he would die instantly. Number one, he can never repair the sin. But since in the root of creation, there's a pathway of breaking and repairing. So Hashem knows that if something breaks, you sin, there's a pathway of repair. So there's hope for the sinner to repair his actions. And therefore, that enables the world to continue for 6,000 years. And more than that, it gives you free will choice. Because if everybody knows they're going to die as soon as they're not able, then they're not going to have any free will choice. So that is step number one. Yes? So I understand we, we can repair our sins, but like, like an opportunity lost, for instance, uh, uh, there is an opportunity for you to buy some shares, and you did not buy. And then you say sorry to your other partner, but the loss is not well, again, right? So Torah is not like shares in a business. Hashem is not interested. He's only interested in our good. When we're dealing with business, your clients are not interested in that. They only want one thing, success. They don't deal very well with failure. So therefore, there's no comparison between that. Hashem knows you're going to fail, but from that failure, as we said, you can develop bigger Caleb. It's almost... um, I can't remember who the, uh, there was a CEO of a company, I can't remember, I think it was one of the oil companies, long, long time ago. And uh, his executive vice president made a terrible mistake, a terrible mistake, lost the company millions. And he thought for sure he's gonna get fired. He goes into the office, he comes in, he knows he's gonna get fired. So the boss says something to the effect as follows. He says, there's no point in firing you because we spent millions of dollars trying to learn a lesson. So we already spent the money, so let's learn the lesson so it doesn't happen again. Firing him doesn't help because the next guy can make the same mistake. But we already spent millions on this. You can't get it back. Well, we could learn from the mistake, and in the future, maybe he can make millions from that mistake. So that's really what we're talking about over here. Number two benefit is this idea of the breaking and the repair. Therefore, it is rooted in the foundations of creation, the concept of a partnership between the Jewish people and Hashem. As it says in Shira Shirim, Hashem refers to us as Yonah, see my dove, Tamos, see my twin. As it were, the Jewish people are twins of Hashem. And Hashem says, not that I'm better than you, not that you're bigger than me. What does that mean? So Hashem, as it were, sets up the Jewish people to be equal partners with Hashem in the conduct of the world. And that's what the whole Shir Hashirim is telling us. Our whole relation with the Jewish 
people in Hashem is like a beloved with their with his friend. Okay, and therefore, and that's the whole idea of us being in the image of Hashem. And there's so many expressions of this partnership, as Chazal say, any judge who judges a true judgment, even for one moment, the Torah considers it as if he is a partner with Hashem in the world. Anyone who davens Erev Shabbos and says, Vayahulo, it's considered as if he's a partner with Hashem in the creation of the world. Anyone who hears his curse and is silent, and he could respond, but he doesn't, he becomes a partner with Hashem in the world. So what does all that mean? It means, well, Hashem created the world with justice, with judgment. And when a judge does a, a, a proper judgment, he's maintaining what Hashem wants. And on this deeper concept of the partnership, as it were, because the essential root of the tikkun is based on that. What is it? That if the one who's giving the energy and the receiver are balanced, then the flow is suited perfectly for the receiver and that all depends on if his actions are suited to receive all this of not or not. So therefore, that's what the partnership is. So Hashem, Hashem needs a partner. I want to give, but I need a receiver who's going to receive exactly the way I mean to give. So when we do these things, judging cases properly, bringing in the Shabbos that reminds us of creation, hearing one's curse and is silent, all these things are partnering with Hashem and therefore through that we build the proper tools to be those partners of Hashem to receive that good from Hashem. So that's the second benefit of this. Yeah? So further to my first point, Ramayim, now some of the awareness what we do, they don't have 100% true. Right? I mean, you cannot get it to the Yes, you can. Shuva out of love, the sins become mitzvahs. It's not only that they're wiped out, they become mitzvahs. Like the relationship says with the, the married woman, you, there is no no 100% chuva for that. Right? For what? If you're having a relationship with a married woman, there is, there is no 100% chuva. It doesn't. What are, what are you talking about? If he does chuva, he's not going to do it again. He's not going to do it again. There's no such thing as irreparable damage. There's no such thing as a damage that cannot be repaired. Even mamzerim? Even mamzerim. Because mamzerim can eventually get out of that position. If they marry converts and a female convert, you can, you can erase the mamzerim. And the truth is, and what's so bad about a mamzer, so to speak? In other words, if he is a mamzer, so what do you want? He can still be a, a proper kosher Jew. You're only creating, so even if you kill someone, their life isn't over. Hashem can bring a gilgul and bring them back. So that there's no such thing as irreparable damage. If you believe in the eternality of the Jewish soul, then you have to understand there's no such thing as irreparable damage. Not at all. In the non-Jewish world, where there's no next world, there's nothing else. So yeah, there's irreparable damage. But in Yiddishkeit, that thing does not exist. Okay, the third benefit of the breaking and the repairing is, as we explained, that uh, you have sometimes lights that are way beyond what regular people can handle. And that usually causes a breakdown because of that great amount of light. 
But there is a concept that this great light sometimes can make a mark on the world and never gets lost. What does that mean? Let's say when we dealt with people who were incredible tzaddikim, incredibly great people in the world. Someone like a Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, who is the father of the oral law. He's the, and where is he rooted in? Lights that are beyond. And he was able to merit developing those great lights. And what he was able to develop with those great lights, he left as a legacy for the rest of the world. Things that we would never be able to comprehend. As Gemara Chagiga says, four people entered the parties of great mysticism. And he was the only one who came out wholesome from that. Even And, and therefore it's possible, you know, even though he is, his, when he died, he was tortured when his flesh was combed with combs of steel. But uh, that was a breakage of the body, so to speak. But that tar what he had that came from such a big place, that can remain. Certain individuals, it doesn't break. And they retain that something. Great Kabbalists, many maintained the Baal Shem Tov, brought in lights that could not be contained by anyone else. And now that he brings it in, it may be a little bit higher than us, but still we have something to shoot towards. Okay, so those are the three benefits of this system. Where one, free will choice and the ability to do tshuva. Number two is the partnership between us and Hashem. And number three, that expression before the breakage when there is no break to show you what kind of amazing levels that people can look forward to. Okay, so what is the service of a person when we're dealing with concepts that are beyond our abilities? And they use an interesting term, uh, and that's called oros de tohu, the lights of the abyss, meaning those lights that are way beyond, bekelim de tikkun, with utensils that have repaired. In other words, it is possible to merit a high flow, even higher than what your tools are able to hold on to. Remember we said, that if there's a breakage, it means your tool wasn't matched to the light. And we said the solution is make your plate bigger. Sometimes, even if your plate isn't bigger, you can merit to retain the light beyond the capacity of the utensil. That can happen. And how is that possible? In other words, talk about people doing things that are beyond what they'd be able to do normally. They only have a cleat so much. They, for whatever reason, aren't able to increase the cleat. They can't. And yet they can take on a light that's bigger than the cleat. But that doesn't make sense. How can you pour more water that's in the cup? That's essentially what we're saying. How can you pour more water that's in the cup? Well, there is a certain phenomenon to that if you notice the way if someone's a cup is shaped, if you add one drop more, it could go higher yeah. than the cup. A little bit, it can still go higher than the cup. What's going on over here? So he says this mainly revolves around the concept of Mesiras Nefesh, self-sacrifice. What does self-sacrifice mean? Self-sacrifice means your kli can only hold so much. Your body can only exert itself to a certain degree. And even though a person's main avoda is only within what his kli is able to handle, 
But sometimes a person has a tremendous desire to serve Hashem even beyond his capabilities, as we've seen with great tzaddikim, who could mamish break through the natural um, inhibitions that the body forces upon a person, but able to break through this, to reach levels beyond human capacity, and that's how you merit the lights of Tohu with the kalim of repair. And those are stories of great people. How is it that great people could live by sleeping a half an hour a day? An hour a day. The Vilna Gom sleeps a half an hour in the morning, half an hour at night. How can they do that? You have stories of, of people for days and days and days. They just don't stop. Take those off for a couple minutes. How is that possible? But the person is making superhuman efforts. And when a person makes superhuman efforts, then when he breaks his nature, Hashem can break the nature of the Caleb. And therefore the Leshem, the great Kabbalist says, the avoda of a person, let's say when we're dealing with prayer, that when prayer you're standing before Hashem as a recipient before Hashem. That's one way. But there's another way much rooted more in uh, where Hashem and prayer is basically Hashem deals with us based on what we can handle. But Hashem can deal with us with more than we can handle and this is called the trajectory of bitachon. If a person believes in Hashem really, not phony baloney believing, but he really believes that Hashem can do things for him, he can connect to that supernal conduct and therefore he can receive something beyond what he is able to do and we see people standing up to tests that are beyond normal that seem to be impossible with the tools that a person has and why is that happening because he's he's getting the oros of tohu the the lights that are the original lights there were so much they damaged all the caleb but the person connects in the way that he's willing to give up. Remember, you only live in it by the body, but if you go beyond the body, then you're going beyond your limitations, and therefore you can receive a flow that's way beyond what you can normally take on. And this happens to individuals, and it can happen to the Jewish people in general, who often we live beyond the normal constraints of the realities of the world. As we see in our eyes how the Jewish state stands up against all odds, against all nature. And as we've said many times, the, the success of the Jewish people cannot be explained in any type of military term. It defies the laws of nature. Okay? We see how Koyal guys are able to survive when they're not making any money. They have 10 kids, a small apartment, and some of them are surviving. What's going on? It's people who are extending themselves because they have trust in Hashem. And that's such an important point. That's a message that's throughout these last few partios that the Jews mistake with the spies as they said, we don't have the merits to conquer the land. And they were right. We've sinned too much. We don't have the kalim, the tools, to receive all that goodness from Hashem. So all the Hasidic firms say, you're right. But you could have gotten more than what your clique could hold if you would have had bitachon. If you would have gone beyond your nature, Hashem would have given you beyond your nature. 
So therefore, that's the idea of getting high-powered um, uh, energy beyond, imagine, you know, you got a, a big energy and it's more than what the capacitor can hold. But it can still hold it. It doesn't blow a fuse. Imagine, you have a fuse. Usually, if Hashem gives you too much, you blow a fuse. And you don't work. Imagine a fuse that doesn't blow. How could that be? A human being can be like a fuse that doesn't blow. And they're able to get much more than that. Okay, now he gets into a very interesting topic. And this is, where's the source of the Erev Rav? That mixed multitude. They were very uh, powerful people. You have to think for a minute. These are the converts, the last Johnny-come-latelys. They want to join up with everybody. How are they able to make so much trouble? You have the rank-and-file Jews, the 600,000 Jews. These were the main Jews, and we said yesterday how they just watch as the mixed multitude does everything that they do. And, they, and the Jews were powerless against them. Where is that coming, if anything? Who are you, you little Gornish Jew, you, you Goy, you Egyptian? You see we're winning and you join us. Hashem didn't even want you, but Moshe forced Hashem to take us. And you're telling us to worship the one God? Get out of here, you bums! But we see that's not so. They had all this otzma. They had all this power. Where did that power come from? Does anybody ever wonder about that? So says the, uh, the Gemara Chagiga and all kinds of interesting sources. Starting with the Gemara Chagiga, Reb Shimon HaChosid said, there were 974 generations that were, so to speak, chomping at the bit to be created before Hashem created the world, but he didn't create them. But then finally, he put some of those worlds, some of those energies into every generation. And these are the Azei Ponim Shabador, the Chutzpanyaks in every generation. That is people from, so to speak, souls from the pre-creation, tremendous energy, but not suited for this world. And sometimes I don't want to create a world this way. But I'll bring a couple super energy souls into the world. And the Leshem explains this. That they are coming from the root of the breakage. From all that power that the worlds before couldn't take. But Hashem saved some of it to plunk into this world. And that's the Erev Rav. He plunked it into the souls of an Erev Rav that are not just in the generation of the desert. They're here today and now, the Erev Rav, as we shall see. And they are Azei Ponim. They have brazenness because that shows the power they have. They have lots of light and they're very difficult people to deal with in every generation. But guess what? That from that, we have... Great breakages, but great tikkunim until the times of Mashiach. Says the Vilna Gon, before Mashiach comes, the Erev Ra will dominate over the Tamidah Chachamim and they will press them and give them all kinds of trouble. Remember the Vilna Gon's in the 1700s, early 1800s. This is just before the Renaissance, just before the Reform Movement. And it's gone there for the last 300 years. Until the Geula will come from the screaming out of the Talmidei Chachamim. 
And this was also the struggle with Yaakov, with the angel of Esau that hits him in the thigh. And the thigh represents the supporters of Torah. <coughs> and that's how evil grabs on during the ikvas of the Mashiach. And the myth of Melio, oh, let me just finish this little part and then I'll go into the myth of Melio. And if you really see this, these are the Kabbalists talking here. And sometimes when they speak and it's taken out of context and it's given to the masses, they don't know how to digest this. Baravadji Yosef said this many times. Baravadji Yosef didn't have closed cameras. People walk in, they hear what he says and don't tell it to Marif and we get all kinds of trouble. But the Kabbalist says, that who is the ones who built up the state of Israel? It was the Erev Rav. The Erev Rav who had control and dominion of the country. Why did they succeed? They had lights beyond the power. Okay, they were able to superhumanly build up a country with what? With brazenness. And you need chutzpah to stand up to the whole world. Obviously, it was all with Hashem Sashkacha. But if you see what's going on, that these people who are really very not spiritual people at all, anti-spiritual, anti-Semitic Jews, anti-Torah, and they succeeded so much. <coughs> How is that? Because that's the Erephron. And they used it, which would appear in a good way, but it was really to destroy Yisrael. All these people, Ben-Gurion, Greenbaum, all these people, Sharat, they all wanted to destroy Yiddishkeit. It's common knowledge not to be denied. And Hashem gave them remarkable success. But ultimately, what's that for? It's for them to really make it difficult for Torah to be studied. You understand what's happened over here? That until this group of Erev Rav came, so the Vilna Gong sent some students to to to, to populate Eretz Yisrael. Fine, nice, this that. There were issues, of starvation, and that Arabs. You didn't have to deal with Jews. But then the late eighteen hundreds, all of a sudden, come the secular Zionists, and they're out to destroy the rabbis, to oppress them. And so many governments always trying to oppress the religious Jews. Why? because religious Jews have to make their plates bigger. We had to fight back, we had to fight stronger to not, because if just roll over and die, there'd be nothing left of us. And therefore, that they, they have this temporary, this era is given a temporary strength, but only for so long, and eventually they will break. You see, this is mamish happening. This is happening as we speak as the Haredim are slowly getting a bigger majority in Eretz Yisrael. Slowly, slowly, what's gonna happen? Let's project 30, 40 years from now. What's gonna happen? We're ready that Netanyahu is forced to be on the right. He doesn't have a choice. But soon it's not gonna be Netanyahu, it's gonna be someone Haredi is gonna be the prime minister. And the Haredi prime minister, democratically elected, will say everyone's gotta keep shoppers. It's kind of keep kosher. No more gay parades in Yerushalayim. What's going to happen to the Erev Rav? They'll break. They'll be destroyed. They'll commit suicide or they'll leave the country. They'd rather die than be religious. They got all that power. So that power has been used 
for they wanted to make a country like any other country, but not a Haredi country, but they're going to do all the work and then the Haredi going to move in and use all those resources, Latov, for the good. And that's the ultimate tikkun that will come from all of this. Can you imagine if Haredim were the ones who built up the state? They wouldn't think of internet. They wouldn't think of cell phones. They wouldn't think of any of these things. They just want to learn Torah. Now we got all this technology that people have developed, and now we just have to manipulate it in a way that it conforms to Torah. And now you got amazing ways of how you can teach Torah to the masses and all the things that go together with that and have great economic progress and things like that. So that is what this whole breaking and repairing is all about. Now, Mechtam discusses it a little bit further, and he writes, he says, uh, we know that Yaakov Avinu, who's the Amud of Torah, the pillar of Torah, and the angel of Esau tested him to fight with him before he had a fight with Esau. And what was the whole fight about? was trying to prove what is Yaakov's level. Yaakov had a great level, but maybe it's only temporary because maybe if I give him a lot of gullus and I separate Yaakov and his children from their dzveikas to Torah, maybe I can break him. So the whole night, which is symbolism, that fight of the long gullus, he's saying maybe I can break him and separate him in the future from his Torah, but Yaakov Avinu doesn't allow himself to be separated. As the angel says, you fought with divine forces and were successful, and only in the morning, which is at the end of the Golos, as the Vilnagon says. And the Malach of Esav has a little success. He, he hits him in the thigh. And Chazal say the thigh is what? The tzaddikim in the future that are going to have to stand up until the end, and they get hit, and that could be the supporters of Torah, it could be those who try to destroy Kal Klal Yisrael. That's what Rav Dessler says, and the commentary explains. He says that this Mesiris Nefesh of Yaakov, you see, has to be something for all generations to prove that we really are sincere. Those who come from Yaakov, and especially in generations of Shmad, like a Holocaust or things like that, we have to prove that we're able to stand up to the tests, and those are the tzaddikim who stood up to the tests, and to show us that just like Yaakov was alone against the angels, so through the day when Mashiach comes, Hashem will be alone, so to speak. How is it possible that after the Holocaust, where Yiddishkeit was decimated on every continent, everywhere, it would require superhuman talents of Yedolim, like Rav Aaron Cutler and the Panovich Yerolim, people like that, who they all wrote off as, you're crazy, you're idiots, something's going to happen, and they did things beyond human capabilities. And that's all Hindu in this fight with Esau. And therefore, that last generation before the Gula, where the leaders are, who are the leaders, so to speak? The ones who've thrown off the yoke of Torah. And they're making life miserable for the Talmud Chachamim. And the Talmud Chachamim have to hold on strong. And that's what Yaakov saw at the end. That's going to be the tremendous battle. And that's why it says Yaakov was very much afraid. Will we survive that end? And therefore, the Vilna Gon says that when Yaakov set up his families in order before Esau came, he discusses what's happening over here. It says that uh, first were the, 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 the maidservant wives and their children, then Leah and their children, then Rachel and her children. 
And Yaakov was symbolically showing what's going to happen at the end of times when we have that final fight with Esau. And who's going to be some of those children is the heir of Rav, the ones who are making a lot of trouble for Klal Yisrael, the worst of them who made the Gullah so much worse. And that's hinted to in the maidservants, that they didn't come from the best stock. And there's all kinds of analogies to that. And the Zohar asks when it says, after them and Leah and her children's afterwards says the Baal and the Golden. Those are Amarats, nice, ignorant people, but they listen to the Erevrav. So the Erevrav were like the reform rabbis who are the Erevrav trying to destroy Yiddishkeit. And then we have the children of Leah who are the ignorant but nice Balabatim of the figure, let's follow what they say. And then Rachel and her children are last. And who's Rachel and her children are last? Those are Talmidachachamim who are called last. Because they're considered the lowest. Everybody steps on them. They think they're not important. But at the end of the day, Rachel is the Akira Sabayas, is the foundation of the home. And therefore, he says, the light of Moshe Rabbeinu, who has, has so much feeling suffering with the Talmud Chachamid, that suffered the Gullahs, yet they end up victorious. All these great Gedolim who came to America, in the beginning, they were not given any respect. I said, you're crazy, this is it, it's only Yiddishkeit. You want a donation, here's a dollar. That's it. But they fought their way through until they got respect. And that's why the Gom says when Yaakov had arranged the families before Esau to would show what the, what the situation for the Jewish people would be when that final, final fight happens, the third and final fight with Esau. The beginning will be the souls of the Erev Rav who are there to persecute the Talmud HaChachamim and the other ones that are bent to them are the Amaratzim, the good ones. And you know that the hatred of an Amarat sometimes to the Talmud Chacham is even worse than a Goy. And there could be many Jews who mean well but they hear all the lies about Haredim and they always try to portray them as terrible people. At the end of the Talmud HaChachamim and in spite of the fact that they have the truth but they're all called Rochel, who is the Akira Sabayas, and who, who can stand up in those last moments. Those are the ones that will suffer with the Yaakov limping, so to speak. But at the end of the day, when the sun shines, the sun shines for Yaakov, and Yaakov is healthy again. So this is this idea of the breaking, the falling, the breaking, and the repair. We're entering, we're in the midst of a period of time where the breakage has been immeasurable. Immeasurable breakage. The majority of Jews have, are broken. But what is that forced? It's forced the Rachel children to be strong, as strong, to make the repairs. When you when you when the Indians are attacking, the wagons circle for cover and you shoot back. And now that forces us to come up with tier of agencies and to learn Torah in ways never thought of before, Dafyomi and Dafyomi online and Kuala Chavrus and all these things. Why? You got to bring out all the forces that you normally wouldn't have if you're not under assault. When you're under assault, you have to pull everything out. And that's the tikkun that comes from the shvira, from the breakage. You can only hope that this is the last round and that we'll all be around to see the Tikkun versus Hashem Yisbarach. Amen. Okay, good to see you, Howard. I was thinking of calling you today. No joke.